Hello and welcome to Inside the Globe. I'm Amelia and I will be interviewing Councillor Ian Davison on the Green Party and their part in the governmental society. If there is a topic that you would like to hear about or speak about, then please email me at insidetheglobepodcast at gmail.com or message me on Instagram at insidetheglobe. Hope you enjoy this episode of Inside the Globe. Thank you for coming. Uh, Well, my first question is, how did you get into politics? Well, that's so long ago, it's hard to remember. And I remember people at the time said, oh, you're always into this anyway. But a couple of things struck me. One, there was a Friends of the Earth thing about five huge um, crises in the world. Some of them, like climate change, are with us. Others, like acid rain. You may even be too young, Amelia, to to remember that has been an issue. Um, And there was also an Oxfam poster, which was a huge pile of rubbish. And it said something like, the world cannot afford the luxury of the throwaway society. And that, I think, really got me thinking beyond, you know, pandas and rainforests to throw away society you know what why do we do it why do we buy stuff that we then chuck away to buy some more stuff that kind of seems crazy and uh, I think that's that was the way in and the more I found about it and asked people and so on including professors of economics I should say the more I'm convinced it I can use the fancy words if if you like but um that the the core of the politics that I'm involved with. And did you always have a green agenda? Because obviously the Green Party are very sustain all about sustainability. Yeah, when I joined the it was a Scottish Ecology Party I joined in 1984. So you can see why I'm struggling to remember some of this because it's a while back. Um, I was struck then and now that it was always two pillars for the Green Party. It was social justice and environmental issues. Um, And I think that's core to the green agenda, that unless you look after the poorest in society, it's really, really unpleasant (laughs) to try and bring bring about change. So, yes, um, I would say and I still say that I would like to be and I think I am a scientist first so that if there's evidence I will I will engage with it might be unpleasant if it's not what I want to hear but you know that's what we have to do if we claim to be rational so science first then the the greenness and the this throwaway society stuff and then politics has kind of I mean I've been in it a long time but I'm, I've been dragged into it. It's not what I, I, I emotionally like to do. I'd rather <laughs> rather be walking in a wood or digging a ditch or something rather than um, uh, getting in the messy world of politics. But there we are. So the Warwick County Council's Climate Emergency Action Programme is supported by the leaders of all the political parties. How did this come about? Well, as you know, I'm on Warwick District Council, so I hope you're talking about the district rather than the county, because otherwise (laughs) I've got less to say. Um, And I think, well, I'd say I I became the first Green Party councillor on the district in 2015, and then it was quite hard going. But I think things like um, 
the Blue Planet stuff with plastic and so on that came in meant quite a lot of people from other parties didn't really know what this was about. But when I said, you know, the council should have a, a single use plastic policy, they said, oh, yes, yes, we should have one of them. So there, there was that sort of level. But in 2019, uh, seven colleagues joined me. So there were then eight Greens. Um, there was a new council leader from the Conservatives and there was no overall control. So the Conservatives who in a way just did what they wanted would listen to you. They're always very polite and always engaged. So there's nothing like that, but they would kind of just do what they want. Now there was much more debate. And I must say the council leader is A, instinctively collaborative and B, um, keen on the environmental issues so I think that helped a lot but I think with eight of us getting there and it being no overall control every party had a look and thought oh yeah what should we do about this and yes and I think a lot is genuine I must say from all parties I think there are people who are really concerned about the climate emergency and then there are quite a few who are not that bothered but are kind of going with the flow you know they're kind of seeing that's the the um the way things are now. Is that enough of an answer or you are? Yes, plenty, thanks. <laughs> so, um, I, so I should say in 2019, after that election, uh, the council unanimously declared a climate emergency. Lots on the motion and the wording and stuff, but within two months it had been agreed. So in that sense, it had been set that all parties were committed. Is the goal for Warwick District Council to become net zero carbon by 2025 a realistic target and how will you achieve it? <laughs> I like the word you achieve it. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a, an opposition councillor being the Green Party's not running the council. So how I would achieve it, uh, first of all, it's interesting a target like this. So we're talking about the council and most of the carbon the council itself produces is in buildings. So there are probably about six, eight buildings that are big, like the town hall. If you know Leamington, the pump room, and there's a glass house where there's semi-tropical plants in it. Uh, so those are the big things the council owns directly. So in terms of what to do, you obviously need to stop um, the, the heating bills on that. So, um, so to, to be honest, um, and I'm this is my cynical bit that the um, council is saying, yeah, we can achieve that. And all we need to do is um, install heat pumps so there's electric heating and have a renewable tariff. So you click on the button from the whichever yeah, renewable, please. And I'm being cynical here because if that, that is achievable to do that. Oh, and plant a few trees to offset anything that's left. Um, and that's easily achievable. And you tick the box and say, look, we've sorted it. Um, now, that's a cynical end to make it simple. They're not quite saying that, but that's kind of a bit of the direction of travel. Clearly, to be more serious about it, we need to reduce energy as well. Because if we just say it's electricity and we're um, taking renewables, then everyone 
non-renewable stuff from gas and so on, and therefore you haven't actually helped at all. So it's got to be reducing a huge retrofit to um, reduce the amount of energy needed in the buildings. And I also think, I mentioned the glass house in Kenilworth, in, it's in Leamington in Jefferson Gardens, and it's, um, why do we need it? It's not our best attraction and it, it leaks energy like nobody's business. So to me, we've got to really think what we're doing there. But, uh, it's quite, it's nice if we're going to keep it, perhaps it should be uh, ambient temperature. So it's a greenhouse rather than a, a wastefully heated, but that's a, that's a tough one. But politics is about tough decisions. Um, you can't have all, all your luxuries and then say you're doing anything much. So yes, it is easily achievable. I think we're off target, which has been too slow. Uh, the council has been too slow, diverted in different directions. But it's whether you, it's achieved by a tick. Yeah, we've done it because we've got a renewable tariff or whether we're actually making important actions. I should say the other thing that we ought to do, and this is a tough is have a big renewable energy scheme in the district. And whether that's um, uh, taking uh, energy from a river, you know, so it is ground or water source heat, or whether it's a big uh, wind turbine somewhere or huge solar farm for the district. You know, they're all contentious at the level, but unless you get that, you're not really making a big, big change. So I think that's really important. Well, I guess you know what question I'm going to move on to next, which is, will this put an unnecessary burden on Warwick Council taxpayers? <laughs> The 25 target was uh, that if you reduce, if, if you pay for insulation in, like any homeowner, you get your money back over time and the council can sense. So for that, there was never any question that taxpayers should be asked to pay for more money. When we declared a climate emergency, though, we also said we're committed to reducing the carbon emissions from the whole district. And it was as close as possible to zero by 2030. That's been changed slightly uh, to 55%, but it's still, I mean, what can the council do? And mainly what it can do is try and help people. So like um, make it easier to put solar panels on your roofs, uh, make it easier to insulate your home, uh, make it easier that people cycle to work and to shops and so on. Now, all of those are extra and need money. So you can say it's a burden, but <laughs> paying for the police is a burden. Paying for schools is a burden. We all accept these things that are important. So it's really important. And all, all it wasn't just the Greens, it was all the parties agreed that if we getting extra money to tackle the climate emergency. There must be wins for the, the local people in the ways that I've said. Well, the council will put more efficient heating systems into council buildings as a cost of one million pounds. Then the cost of heating these buildings will increase by 25,000 pounds per year. Do you consider to be taxpayers money well spent? If so, why? <laughs> no, and in meetings I've called that bonkers. Um, <laughs> what's happening here is the government has 
has offered grants to um, councils to uh, reduce carbon emissions, but there are rather strict criteria. So you can only get the grant if the money goes down, if the emissions goes down really fast. And the only way we could do that as a council is to only put in heat pumps, um, which is mad because the first thing you have to do is insulate a building to reduce the the energy needs of the building first. And council officers and the other parties agree with that, but they went for the money and I, I don't blame them for that. So I, I think it's crazy. I'm blaming central government. Uh, in formal meetings, I've asked that we really look hard to see with our own money if we can reduce the, the heating bills, the insulation of these buildings. Um, and that we don't put in heat pumps are too big, because if you put a heat in a huge heat pump for a really leaky building and then plug the gaps, <laughs> you've done more than you need. So it is crazy. This is the, the uh, shouldn't happen. Uh, did you see? Um, yeah, the, the increase in bills obviously is for property. So in fact, at Kenilworth Jubilee House, which um, the town council is in and so on, is one of those. And that's where the big heating bill thing is there. And it, it's nonsense, it shouldn't be happening. Um, but that's, can we find a way to insulate Jubilee House better? Another one was this glass house I mentioned. I don't, I think we should be looking at reusing the place rather than um, putting in a massive heat pump to keep um, subtropical plants in a nice condition in Leamington. That doesn't make sense to me. Um, but well, I, I know why the decision was made. <laughs> I guess if you're thinking of getting rid of the subtropical plants, you then got to think of like what you're going to replace it with because obviously you'll want it to be like eco-friendly. So yeah. yeah so so absolutely and i'm floating this and we've never had a consultation and it's difficult and it is in the too difficult pile at the minute but to me those sort of decisions need to be made if we're going to actually see it be serious about the climate emergency yeah you're right i'd hope it's sort of hardy plants but interesting stuff you know from other parts of the world that we don't know very much um and I don't know if we massively reduce the heating, so just a little bit to keep it frost free in winter, you know what plants would survive. So that hasn't been done, but I'm just giving it as an example of it. it's a lot of energy and I don't think we should do that. No. Um, well, how will the Green Party build on the Climate Emergency Action Programme to benefit the people of Warwickshire? Well, I mean, I don't think the programme started hugely. I mean, it's done quite a bit and it is a huge programme. And it's really unfortunate to me that obviously COVID has uh, taken a lot of attention for everybody and quite rightly, but the government and the, the local um, conservatives are looking to reorganise. So there's a merger with Stratford going on at the moment, which I think is the wrong focus. Um, so the programme's behind. To me, uh, tackling fuel poverty is one of the big things because that's unnecessary emissions and it's people who are in need uh, uh, need help. So there should be much, much more focus on that. Um, 
Yeah, you're saying Green Party again. This is <laughs> District Council should be doing that, not the Green Party on it. Um, I think if you like, then the Green Party, other than getting more people to vote for us so we can do, <laughs> actually do more action, um, it's getting the message that tackling the climate emergency is beneficial for our lives. So reduced fuel bills has to be good. Let's go for that. If we can set things up so people choose to cycle, that's healthier for them. Um, and it's better environmentally, and it reduces congestion and air pollution and so on. So those sort of things, it's let's look for the wins that are beneficial for us rather than the climate emergency is a pain that we don't really want to pay for. So on a previous episode of Inside the Globe, uh, well, my first episode, uh, Lindsay Forrester from mm -hmm. Wood PLC, who is also the president of sustainability there, uh, well, she described their energy transition program. Should we believe the greening of oil and gas companies? I've spoken to a few people in those sort of companies and they kind of say, if we green too fast, we go bust. So they, they are companies and they depend on the market and so on. And in fact, you may remember about a decade ago, was it BP called themselves Beyond Petroleum? Oh. So they went tried to go really green fast, and then they gave up on that. Um, so uh, I, I think, and so to me, we shouldn't believe them or not believe them. We should set the conditions, which means they do transition to a green. Uh, economy as quickly as possible. If we buy electric cars rather than uh, uh, petrol or, or diesel, then that's part of their transition and yeah. um, can happen really quite fast. But well, I guess there so. is a bit that. Sorry, go on. I'm sorry, I've been interrupting. Um, well, if we get <laughs> more, if more people, well, if we make the prices lower for electric cars and more people can get them a lot of these companies will struggle to, they'll, people won't need oil and gas because they'll be using more, um, more environmentally friendly ways of producing electricity. So they will eventually, hopefully, <laughs> transition into that anyway. I think BP are now spending more or have pledged now to spend more on research on renewables than oil and gas. And the first thing is to mean that, as you say, it's unprofitable for any oil company to to explore for new oil because it costs an awful lot to find the oil and then start digging it out of the ground. Once it's flowing, it's dead cheap for them. So it's very hard to get them to stop that. But there is stuff like the tar sands in Canada, which is awful. So to make, as you say, make the price so it's it's more they make more profits by going to renewables as soon as possible that's a good thing all oil companies have renewables they know the way that the world's going and it's just when do they change and how quickly do they change so we as governments and individuals need to make that happen as quick as possible well i understand that like the green party they to make things work they do need more votes but as part of the council and the Green Party, what are you hoping that the Green Party and yourself can do both locally and nationally to help with climate change, even if they're small or big things? 
I think the big thing is what I said at the beginning about the throwaway society. I think Greens generally feel that if we reduce the throwaway society so we keep things for, for longer, uh, it's better. People need to work less so we can have more time enjoying ourselves uh, and it's less bad on the planet. But for the other parties, they see economic growth as the most important thing. And that's in direct conflict with tackling the climate emergency. So it's to try and change that mindset, that perception of, of individuals generally, that it's actually a good thing. And we're uh, obviously climate emergency is not a good thing, but <laughs> creating societies so people walk and cycle more and the shops around the corner rather than having to drive a long way and so on, and that you can work closer to home or work from home and things, that these are all good things. So the changes that we're after are positive, not oh, we really have to do them because there's this problem called the climate emergency. So I think that's a big thing to change people's perceptions. So through COVID-19, we have seen much more use of single use items being used from PPE, which we do need, obviously, but to take away coffee cups because places aren't taking your reusable ones. So this has actually been a step backwards in sorting out the climate emergency. How can we get back on track? Yeah, it's been appalling, hasn't it? I mean, the amount of PPE that's littering <laughs> the environment of the oceans is, is terrible. Um, clearly, COVID needs responding to, and the science is developing relatively fast, but, you know, we didn't know, so we had to take lots of precautions that... Um, so I think these days it's fairly clear for individuals, other than if they're working in surgery in hospitals or something, we can use reusable so cloth face masks and we can wash them and so on. So we don't need disposable PPE uh, for most people. Um, I should say there are positives as well. Uh, in Leamington, we've recently got two new uh, low plastic stores. I'm not quite sure what they're, they're called. You can bring your own containers in, you fill them up and so on. And supermarkets are looking to do that. So I think the amount of packaging, there is a move against that. So I think there are positives going on, but you're right with COVID, it, it was a, a disaster really. Um, in terms of what can be done to get back on track, as ever, government can do things really, really easily. So the 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 um is it was it five p on shopping bags? I think roughly half the eleven billion shopping bags that were chucked away every year. And if they do that on packaging generally, again that will make a huge difference. The price of recycling uh, to be to recycle plastics and things will shoot up, and then we won't need to use the new stuff and so on. And people will be careful to collect them back in, and obviously change in behaviour. Um, people don't need <laughs> reuse. When we get back to um, uh, the the non-COVID world, people can bring their own coffee cups and so on. That's not not that hard, really. Well, I guess also because a lot of people have been ordering things from online to avoid going to the shops. Obviously, that does. People have stopped going in their cars to the shops, and there's only one driver going around dropping off all these parcels. But a lot of the parcels are wrapped in a lot of plastic and like bubble wrap or just are used as packaging. 
and you can't recycle them. So are we going to find a new way of packaging, I guess? Well, this is back. If government puts a, a tax that starts increasing on non-recyclable packaging, it will change very fast. Uh, some of the boxes we've got are in sort of uh, cut up paper so, and that, that goes straight back in that. That's obviously recycled. So it's just old paper chopped up and that's going straight back in the recycling. So we can have a, a circular economy that way. That's relatively easy. You touched on another thing that in fact, food miles, pre-COVID, the most food miles were people driving to the shops to buy, to get the food because it's lots of little car journeys. So to have um, online del or deliveries to your home for food is probably more efficient carbon-wise. Um, if people order just one item all the time of, of other things like a pair of shoes and this and that, then maybe it doesn't work. Um, but yeah, the world's changing fast. I think we've gone online and I doubt we'll go fully back to where we were before. Well, at the recent, well, I guess not recent, but well, at the G7 <laughs> meeting, sustainability was on the agenda. Do you think Boris Johnson made the most of this opportunity? I, uh, our Prime Minister, I think, is very good at making sound bites and things and sounding enthusiastic and so on, and that's not the problem. Uh, you, you don't need to listen to me. The Committee on Climate Change, which is from the UK government, it's semi-independent, but it's certainly not radical in my mind, has said, has said back in June that the government's strong on promises and weak on action that they really need to get going. And every month they delay, there's a problem. So uh, yeah, there's nothing wrong with the government's commitments and what they say they'll claim they do. It's that they're not actually doing it. They're not on track. And also they do stuff in the opposite direction. Here, HS2 is sort of badly regarded and it's a huge, let's move people around faster than ever before. It's a let's build more and more stuff in concrete and not worry too much about the, the environmental consequences. Same with their recent £27 billion road building programme. They're, they're going in the wrong direction in one breath and then saying, oh yeah, we're tackling the climate emergency in another. And it, it doesn't work. Well, my next question is, what do you want to come out of the COP26 programme? Well, it, I think it's the same answer I've said, that there is a change of heart globally. So obviously we have a new president in the States and <laughs> he's certainly more pro-tackling these issues than the last one. Uh, China has come out and made big promises there as well. So I think things are moving that way, but it's we need to move beyond promises to action and it's the action and it it needs to be action now so in terms of what the government should do it should ensure that next year our total carbon emissions are substantially lower than they were this year and then the year after and the year after green party percent a year is challenging but feasible and it's required it's not that oh it's nice it's uh, if we don't want much of the world flooded in 20 years, 30 years time, 
if we want people to be if we want to be able to feed the we need to do this not not to mention the the floods and hurricanes and wildfires that we're having which will only get worse but it is a matter of survival for nations fast not just talk about it so same answer <laughs> well um so well personally and from the government and the green party how can we uh, improve sustainability so basically like um in your view and then as someone who is in a political party like the green party and what you think the government can do to improve sustainability if that makes sense well i've already said the government yeah it does i mean i've already said the government thing in terms of the climate it just it needs to ensure we get seven percent reductions every year which is huge but then tackling the covid was huge and this is an emergency it's not a oh it might be marginally better it is serious um in terms of what the government can do easily um it can it can require that all new buildings are zero carbon so there are no emissions coming out of them and that's easy the technology's there they may get there but it's like a decade too late and they're thinking their less new standards might come out in 2024 i think now they're saying so you know it's just far too much um slippage on that um and there are a lot lots of other things stop the road building I, I perhaps shouldn't go through all those again but i can if you wish <laughs> in terms of people personally it's um what they want to do and choose and i suppose i'm a bit numbery but you know you look at your emissions overall and you think what what are you prepared to reduce so in terms of housing is it um so in fact for me this is personal for me in that our children have left home we've we've recently sold our our home and we need to look and find somewhere that's more energy efficient and how are we going to do that if it's an old one how much will we spend to retrofit it um hopefully quite a bit but not a huge amount or if it's a new one obviously it should have fewer emissions anyway for many people um reducing the amount of meat they um consume is healthy and if they can find tasty dishes as alternatives, then that's great. And emissions from uh, uh, cows and sheep and so on are enormous. So reducing that in our diet is, is a huge, huge bit. Similar if we find ways um, to, to not use the car so much, that's an enormous thing. So I think those are, are all bits, but it's personal choice. And it is government has to um, make it easier for, for those to happen. I think with the Green Party, I've already said them, really. <laughs> if more people vote Green, then there, there is more pressure and the other parties then do change more. And it is the, the mindset that we're looking for what we believe is a, a better world, um, that low carbon, low consumption as a society is good for us. It, it ends up in net that we're healthier, happier and, and richer. And, that, and this is richness is not how much we throw away, but, but how good the things are that we have. Well, you mentioned the methane that comes from cows. Obviously, like, that is a problem, and we don't need that. Like, it's just, 
it doesn't work but and people can move from stop eating cows or um drinking the milk from them but if we do get rid of like livestock and more of it a lot of farmers will move to growing plants and things we are going to lose like these animals so they will become in, extinct very well if people do become vegan and vegetarian and things a lot of people these animals will become extinct because they're no longer needed for money and I do understand that they're killed and things to make the money but they're still being reproduced. Fascinating argument. <laughs> Most people would say uh, eating meat is driving extinction because chopping down rainforest and other areas of the world to so that cattle can graze there and for soya for the cows to eat. So the, the meat is a huge driver of extinction globally. Um, I wouldn't actually say no meat at all. I'm not saying that, I'm saying reduce massively. So if we ate a tenth of the meat we'd have. I think there's a figure that 96% of mammals are either people or domestic domesticated animals. So the number of, uh, sort of lions and monkeys and shrews and things in the world are tiny compared to the number of cows and people and so on. So I don't think extinction is a problem for cattle. It's a problem for much of the rest of the world. Um, so I, that seems a bit strange. But yes, if we eat far less meat than we do now, then it will be fantastic for our health. Uh, I don't think science disagrees with that and the environment because we'd need far less land uh, for agriculture, which gives us a chance for lots of things to recover, as well as the methane you mentioned, yes. And it's also going off the sustainability part, but what can we do like as the public? What can the public do to like little tiny things to improve sustainability? Well, I'm not sure I want to do a, a shopping list of everything people can do, because I, I think partly it gets a bit weird because you do end up like the um, take your own um, cup. So if you buy a coffee when you're out, you don't throw away the, uh, the um, cup, which is good, but it's so tiny compared to the big, big things compared to eating meat and flying and how how much energy you take to heat your home and things like that. So those are, they're all important, but I, I don't want a list of that. And then it falls into the trap of, you know, the Green Party's sort of trying to micromanage people's lives, you know, and that, it's a, it's a democracy and people should, should choose a, a, to decide what they want. But I think it is, I mean, I would say that people's actions are important. So if you can do things like that, and that's great. And you know, friends of mine, not for me saying it, have decided to put solar panels on their roofs. That they, These are sort of econ economic type people and they're saying, you know, should we have money in shares or put solar panels on our roofs so that they're relatively wealthy and can afford it. But they're making that, it's not quite a financial judgment, but it, it's a good, it's the right thing to do. And, you know, well, well done them. I think that's great. So, yeah, so I have kind of ducked your question on that yes, I think it's fine you gave lots. a quite a good answer <laughs> okay thank you <laughs> well 
thank you for coming on Inside the Globe. Yeah. It's been brilliant. Um, and yeah. <laughs> well, you're welcome, Amelia, and well done for, for doing this. This is some good personal action in action. So well done. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed that episode of Inside the Globe. If you have any questions for Ian, then please email me at insidetotheglobepodcast at gmail.com and I will pass them over to him. Or you can also message me on Instagram. Thank you for listening. Bye.